I don't know what the most complicated thing that you have been uh, doing this week is, uh, but we're going to look at something even more complicated today. Uh, I'm going to raise the bar on whatever it is that you've experienced. I know I'm raising the bar because what we are going to look at is a mystery. Even if you have been working out Christmas holiday logistics, even if you've been working out how you're going to keep everyone happy, and you think there is nothing more complicated and more difficult to understand than this, I promise you this is more complicated. Don't worry, uh, we are not going to have a test on it. This isn't something that you have to pass. Uh, It's just something that you have to believe. And it just so happens to be the best news in all the world. And it's at the heart of the Christmas story. And what we're going to do today is we're going to hear lots of quotes and lots of stories from the Bible, uh, rather than just focus on one. That's usually what we do. We look at one passage and focus on that. Well, today we're going to look all over the place. Um, And we're going to start with some that we often hear at Christmas. Here we go, from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then John's Gospel, chapter 1, starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So what we're looking at here is called the incarnation. That comes from the Latin word uh, for flesh, to be made flesh or to be in the flesh. If you're uh, you're someone who eats meat, you are a carnivore, because the same word. Uh, If you have chili con carne, you're going to have meat uh, with that. And so that's what the word incarnation means. It means for flesh, uh, to be upon, uh, and someone to come into flesh. So this is the staggering, mind-bending news that God has taken on the same flesh that all of us have. Without becoming any the less God, he became a human, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, for many of us here, the moment we hear this, we think, how on earth or in heaven, whichever, how did that happen? But in case you've missed it, we've heard pretty much all the Bible's explanation of how it's happened. There's a little bit more said here and there, but basically we've just, we've just covered it. 
which is that the word became flesh. The Bible's happy just to tell us that. The child is conceived in the Virgin Mary's rooms by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the angel explains, well, here's your fuller explanation. Nothing will be impossible with God. So there you go. The whole, you're like, well, how did that happen? How did that happen? The Bible doesn't give us a huge amount of explanation of that. And that's one of the reasons why there's been so much controversy and confusion about it over the centuries. It was a huge debate, really over the first kind of 400 years or so of church history. All sorts of debates and arguments um, happened. And it's at this point that Father Christmas comes into the Christmas story. Because Father Christmas, as you may know, is based on a character called St. Nicholas. He lived in the 4th century. He's famous for two things. One of which he probably did, one of which he probably didn't do. But it's funny that he's famous for it. The thing he did do, and that's why he's Father Christmas, is he gave gifts to people who were in need. Everyone loves Father Christmas doing that. Everyone talks about Father Christmas doing that. The other thing St. Nicholas is famous for is punching someone in the face for being a heretic and denying that Jesus was fully God. The side of Santa no one tells you about. Doesn't this raise the stakes for he knows if you've been bad or good? So be good for goodness sake. I said there wasn't going to be a test earlier, but if St. Nicholas was here, there probably would be. And you don't want to fail it. Now, whether that happened or not, and it almost certainly didn't, but we'll keep stories like that in kind of legend category. Whether that happened, what did happen is that there were big, serious, thoughtful debates about who Jesus is and what happened uh, when he came uh, to earth and did he come to earth and all sorts of things like this. And these debates produce documents that really um, describe what the Bible tells us about the incarnation. So, in the 4th century, the Nicene Creed says this. says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. And then in the fifth century, the Chalcedonian definition gives us some extra definition. It says this, it says, Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God, and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable, rational soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood, like us in all respects, apart from sin, as regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. 
even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him and our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us and the creed of our fathers has handed down to us. Having written that statement, they then sang, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus or something like it. These are the non-negotiables of the Christian faith. I said you don't have to pass a test on them. You don't have to understand it all fully. You can't understand it all fully. But we must believe these things. This is what it is to be a Christian. Other religions and sects may claim to honour Jesus. They may claim to revere him. Some would even say that they would worship him. But Muslims do not believe what we've just read. And actually, nor do Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, nor do Mormons either. And so that's why they're outside of the truth of God. To take us back to the Bible, John's first letter tells us how important this is. 1 John 2 and 4 say, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So within all these documents, there are are definitions being given about Jesus being fully man and Jesus being fully God and that he is one with the Father and the Spirit and that uh, he is eternally God and he is now eternally God and man. And all these things have been argued about and discussed and then these documents came together to, to kind of clarify and codify it for us. You think, man, this is just really confusing. You're like... I came here for the kids' songs this morning, and now you're talking about these things. What do I do with that? But the incarnation is key to all of Christianity. It is the explanation for who Jesus is. Why was Jesus able to do the miracles he did? Why was he able to teach with the authority that he did? Why did he die and then rise again? And why do all of these things matter to us who live thousands of miles and thousands of years later? Why does that matter? It's because Jesus is God. What we're going to do for the rest of our time together is I'm not going to explain this to you any further. Again, it may sound like good news. Some of you are like, no, I want, I wish he would. And there's resources to go and dig that out and to explore it and to understand it. And if you want to do that, I would say, go for it. But what the Bible tends to do is rather than say how this happened, the Bible shows us what it looked like and why it happened. And so we're going to look at four things that explain to us why the incarnation is such good news. Each one of them, we're going to take one of the titles or names of Jesus, and we're going to see the incarnation in action. And then we're going to praise him for it at the end. So four things. First thing, first name, he is the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, we can know what God is like. So the writer to the Hebrews explains what Son of God means. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 says, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Paul says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
and didn't have a bit of Jesus. Didn't have a bit of God. He wasn't somewhat God because you can't really be somewhat God. But Jesus wasn't. Jesus was fully God, and that fully God dwelt in a body. Jesus Himself put it like this. One of His followers said, "Jesus, just show us the Father. Let us see God." And Jesus said. You can see him right now. John 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's a massive statement about divinity. Again, once in a while, people say to you, Well, Jesus didn't really say he was God. Yes, he did. This is one of the many places where he did. Because you can't say, If you look at me, you will see God and not be God. No one can do an impression of God. And so, because this is who he is, because he's the son of God, he is God himself, there's no speculating, no guessing about what God is like. God is like Jesus. By taking on human flesh, God is able to show us what we could not otherwise see. Now, this doesn't mean it's easy to understand, because he is God. And God is incomprehensible to us. We see some of him, but we can't, we can't comprehend all of what we, what we see. And you know, the Gospels and all of human history are full of people arguing about who Jesus was and what he did and why he did it and what he said and what it meant. But the incarnation means that when you think, I'm not sure what God thinks about this. I'm not sure what God's like. I'm not sure how God acts. I'm not sure who God is. Jesus is the answer to those questions. He is the one to turn to and to look to. He is the answer. What is God like? If someone's challenging you, you say, well, you know, your God is like this, your God is like that. Well, no, my God's like Jesus. Now, the fullness of who Jesus is, that will take us a while to explore and explain and understand. But that's who, he is. that's who he is and that's who he is like. So that's good news. Because otherwise we might try and make God up ourselves. George Bernard Shaw says, God made man in his own image and man's been trying to repay the favor ever since. We kind of say, oh, God's like this, God's like this. And basically what we mean is God's like what I want him to be. No, we don't need to speculate. We don't need to guess. Look, look at Jesus. He's there in the Gospels. He's there in the Old Testament, actually. And he's there in the the New Testament writings. They're all saying, this is Jesus. This is who God is. So he's the son of God. He's also the son of man. Because he's the son of man, that means that the physical world is good. It's the title Jesus most preferred to use about himself, son of man. People would call him other things, and he quite often was like, no, no, son of man. That's what I like to call myself. And there are many reasons for this, and there's a video in the small group leaders' notes going out um, at lunchtime today that you can look to explain a bit more about what this means. Uh, But one of the things it means is that it means he belongs to humanity. He is one of us in the same way that son of God, he is God by saying he's son of man. He's saying he is a man. Now, Christians have often been influenced by a pagan Greek idea that this physical world is inferior to the spiritual world. And some of the ways that plays itself out, uh, for example, is that uh, people think, well, what you do in a church meeting matters much more than what you do in the rest of your week. Or, you know, ultimately, basically, the sooner we get out of this flesh, the sooner we die and become a spirit, the better it will be. This flesh is rubbish. We just need to get rid of it. And then we'll be all right. That's Greek thinking. It's not biblical thinking. The Bible tells us that not only did Jesus create all things, which God then described as very good, but that he became a created thing. He took on physical flesh. 
We know that his adopted father, Joseph, worked as a carpenter and that Jesus followed him into that trade. Jesus worked. He did manual labor. It was almost certainly working on big construction projects. I think when we think car- carpenter now, we think, oh, artisan. I'm sure he made lovely toys for children. And like that, would, that didn't generate much money in that economy. He would have worked kind of building big things. The, the Romans and others were building big projects around there at that time. He would have been doing that. He had to develop physical strength. He had to learn the skills. He took on more and more responsibility as he grew. At some point between the ages of 12 and 30, his, uh, Joseph, his adopted father, died and so Jesus took on responsibility for the family that required work and thought and provision and Jesus did all those things so he got his hands dirty and by doing so he blessed the dirt again blessed once at his his creating it blessed twice by his being involved with it so fully we know that Jesus cooked Uh, There's uh, one story in John chapter 21. He makes a breakfast of barbecued fish. His followers are out in a boat uh, and uh, he kind of says, have you got any fish? He's got a barbecued fish right there, so he doesn't need any fish. But he gives them breakfast. And then in that moment, doing what any friend would do, a human friend would make, let's have breakfast together. He also says, by the way, just put your nets over there. And 153 fish suddenly fill the nets. Often at weddings, we're told that Jesus attended a wedding. Jesus will have attended many, 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 many weddings. It's just one of them is famous. And the reason it's famous is because he didn't just attend the wedding, enjoying the event. He didn't just eat the food and drink the wine along with everyone else, again, which would be enough for God to be doing that. Man, that's remarkable. He also, as you know, turned about 500 liters of water into the best wine. Now, I went onto the Tesco website and found out what Tesco finest um, gold medal award-winning wine is, which I thought, because it's described as the best wine. So I wasn't going to go to the very top because that would be ridiculous. But I was like, what would be a very, very, very good wine for a village to have? This, I think, would have been. So basically what Jesus has done is he suddenly produced about 12,000 pounds worth of wine. And we kind of think, oh, I'm not sure if Jesus likes the physical. I'm not, oh, this spiritual world's much better than the physical world. Jesus is making lots of wine. Jesus is making breakfast. Jesus is working hard. His, enemy, his enemies criticized him. They called him a, glunt, a glutton and a drunkard. Now, clearly that was spiteful exaggeration. But equally clearly, you can't call someone that who is off in the desert all the time, never involved with anyone and just kind of floating around in the spirit world. You, you can only call someone that if they are enjoying life. And he did that. It's his creation. He loves it. Moreover, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he did not return to a spirit form. He says to his followers, they're absolutely petrified. They're like, it's a ghost. He's like, I'm not a ghost. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. It's the resurrected Jesus. Flesh and bones. He did not consider humanity a temporary inconvenience which he was glad to be rid of. He didn't think of it in that way. And this means that there is a man in heaven right now. 
There's a man in heaven. If you've been reading Revelation in reading God's Word 2019, you'll have recently seen loads of people around the throne. There's heavenly creatures and there's elders and all these kind of things. But right in the center of it, those described as a lamb by John at that point, there is a man. I mean, you don't get much higher you know, worth of our flesh. You think, man, I've got fingers. There's someone with fingers in heaven. I'm trying to do work. There's someone who has worked in heaven. And he is the first fruits of all who believe. What happens to him happens to all who follow him. We won't become spirits. We will be given new bodies to enjoy the renewed creation with Jesus forever. I think this, I mean, so I've already said that. I think that means this gives great value to work, gives, gives great value to our bodies, to our being. I think as well, we live in a really interesting time, don't we? So Dan referenced Walkman earlier. And, and many of us were like, yeah, I remember those. And a few of you are like, what on earth was that? Well, I had a yellow Walkman. It was amazing. It was a sport one. And so it was kind of supposed to be waterproof or something like that. But it was, it was great. And do you know what I put in that? I put in cassettes. And a cassette, if you don't know what cassette was, it was a, it was a means of recording the music or, or, or the, the spoken word. And it, what, the thing about it was, is I had it. So Dan, what he meant to say was playlists. earlier. But the thing with the playlist is, it's over there somewhere. And you can hear it, and obviously that matters. But actually, it's, you don't have it. Spotify could re- decide to remove all of those songs right away, and you'd have lost them. But I had the cassette. And so no one could take it from me. And there's a really interesting thing going on in our culture at the moment. Is we, uh, all the stuff, we stream it, we don't record it. It's more convenient, but it's, we don't have it. And all the discussions about virtual reality and things like that at the moment are kind of saying that our bodies really don't matter that much. There's, there's other connections. And actually, all the stuff that's happening with sexuality and with gender at the moment is saying that what is in me is not the same as my flesh. And actually, Jesus says, no. No, I made you whole. And I've dignified all of that wholeness and that flesh with myself. And so Christians are to be incarnational people. We are real. We are physical. There's probably loads more that can be said and thought about that, but I think it's important. Thirdly, he is Emmanuel. And this means God understands us. Emmanuel, what Emmanuel means is God with us. He's with us. He's here on this earth. In this flesh, he has lived with the limitations that we live with. He knows what it's like to be fixed in time and space. One point, you are here, therefore you're not elsewhere. You you aren't at another church today. You aren't in another country today. You're here. Now, God is omnipresent. God is fully everywhere. He, He doesn't relate to time and space in the way that we do. But then suddenly, he's here, not there. He He's here on the earth. He knows what it is to have finite energy, which needs to be replenished. If you woke up this morning and thought, I am still tired, Jesus, God, has experienced that. Now again, God's omnipotent. God has all might, all power. He, you know, the, he, he never runs out. And yet Jesus ran out. Jesus knew what it was for his batteries to be depleted, for him to need to eat, to need to drink, to need to sleep. He knows what it's like to gather information through your senses. God's omniscient. God knows all things. Jesus learned things and experienced them to learn them. He had parents and siblings and relatives and friends and colleagues and bosses. With all the challenges and all the joys that these things 
bring because he was with us. And so he knows what it's like to experience those things, to experience the good things and the challenging things about them. All of this is why he told stories that we still remember now, that people uh, uh, that, uh, just kind of, they immediately click with people. They resonate with us. They're thousands of years old, and yet people think, yeah, that is what life's like. Oh, yeah, you've got me with that. Why? They have such profound insight into the human condition because Jesus had such profound insight into the human condition because he became a human. The Gospels also are full of Jesus showing emotion. One time his enemies tried to trap him into healing someone. Uh, they didn't think it was, it was the wrong day, they thought, for healing people. Of course, it's never the wrong day for healing people. And so Jesus, it, Mark tells us Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. He's not just again, oh, yes, I know, I know all things. And so I'm, you know, I'm just a calm lake. No, Jesus angry. I think he was also a lot funnier than we give him credit for. And partly this is, I think, because uh, we love the word of God and we reverence the word of God, but sometimes that means that we read it all like it's very solemn. And, and uh, part of the reason also why is because, you know, jokes best work in the setting they're in. And, and, and these jokes were told a long time ago, a long way away, and in a different language. And if you have to explain the joke, it's not really a joke anymore, is it? So when preachers try and say, and this is why Jesus was being so funny, and you're like, I still don't really get it. That's probably why. But when Jesus says things like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, he doesn't say it like, because it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples were like, ah, oh, yes. No, he's like, <laughs> he's like, it is easier for a camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples say, what? That's what's going on. He's got, there's these two guys who are part of his closest friends. They're, he loves them, but they are nutcases. They just want to cause trouble all the time. He doesn't tell them to calm down. He calls them the sons of thunder. He gives people nicknames. There's a guy called Peter. He's just blown about all over the place. And Jesus is like, I'm going to call you Rock. You're like, there's nothing rocky about this guy at all. Except, yeah. I think, I think the resurrection experiences, again, we read the resurrection accounts and we're all like, mm, yes, very somber. I think Jesus smiled in those. They don't know it's him. And then he's like, hello. <laughs> Not like in a, just in a kind of, I, I did it. He's full of joy. And you know, people wanted to be around him. People don't want to be around people who are miserable. They want to be around him. Because God's like that. There's the story of the death of Lazarus. And it brings together his, his humanity and his divinity so powerfully. Lazarus is one of Jesus' friends. He had friends. And Lazarus is one of them. And someone comes to him long distance. Jesus is like two days walk away. And says, Lazarus is ill. We think he's going to die. And Jesus can't just go like, ping, by Lazarus' side. And when he does get to Lazarus' grave, he weeps. He's like, oh no, I'm God, I know all things. No, he weeps. But at the same time in that story, he says, no, I'm going to stay here for a couple more days because I'm going to do something special with this. And he knows that Lazarus is going to die. And then when he goes to Lazarus' grave, even whilst the tears are still in his eyes, he raises him to new life. 
This is what happens when God is with us. Many religions present God as like a distant and unknowable figure and, and untouchable. Can't come anywhere near God. People use the word literally a lot more than they ought to. Jesus was literally carried in Mary's body and later in her arms and the arms of others. He was jostled in crowds. He was with us. Don't isolate yourself from him when he has come so close. He's come so close to be with us. And don't give up hope when he has such power. Because he isn't just a friend who comes alongside and says, I wish I could do something about it. He's almighty God who comes alongside. And so when you're struggling, and when you've been stupid, and when you're confused, and when you're afraid, and also when you think you've got it all together, talk to him. Knowing that he's experienced human life in all its fullness and is almighty God. Fourthly and finally, he's Jesus. And so we can be saved. So we've seen Jesus, the son of God, revealing God to us. He's the son of man, sharing our humanity, giving dignity to all creation. And he's Emmanuel, God with us. So finally, Matthew 1.22 says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yeshua, is what it would have been, uh, something along those lines. That's how people would have called him. And it means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. He alone, as fully man and fully God, can do this. Story that gives you a, a glimpse of it before we get to the main story. In Matthew 8, Jesus is in a boat and he's asleep. And he's been traveling, he's been teaching, he's been healing. And so he's exhausted. And he must be exhausted because a storm hits the boat. You know, it's not a big ocean liner. It's a small boat. There may be a dozen people in it, that kind of thing. And the storm is tossing the boat up and down. We're told the water is just splashing in and splashing in and splashing in. And the other guys on the boat are going crazy trying to save it. It's really difficult. And he is asleep. Well, how can he still be asleep? Be like, ah, the peace of God that he understood. Maybe the peace of God that he was experiencing. But I think he was tired. He'd been working. If you read what's been going on before, he's been working really hard. And he's exhausted. His companions are like, we've got to get him awake. And they wake him and they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. So they're scared. But I think possibly then they're even more scared. Because... He tells the winds and the seas to calm down, and they do. And they say, who is this? That's an excellent question. The Lord of creation is asleep in a boat. A man tells the weather what to do, and it obeys. And the people in the boat are rescued. And that's a glimpse of what was to happen later. Christmas leads to Easter. At the cross, the weakness and the limitations of human flesh are on display for all to see. Jesus bruises, he bleeds, he chokes, he dies. But the cross is also where the power of God is at work like never before. What is happening there? Why is Jesus there? Well, he's there to do what only he can do. He takes upon his shoulders all the evil and all the wickedness that any Christian has ever done. He represents us and he's able to represent us because he's one of us. And so all the anger for, that God has for all of these things 
can be directed on someone other than us. Romans 8 verse 3 says, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. So the punishment and the anger at sin can be directed at where it should go, flesh, and yet not where it should go, not me and you. And then here's the incarnation pivot, as it were, to this moment. People are such a sad scene there. He is dying, that poor man. Mm. But he is a sinless man. So he has no sin to atone for himself. He has no reason to die himself. The the, the wage of sin, he doesn't have to pay him. And as the divine man, his blood is of infinite worth. And it is therefore able to pay the price owed by billions and billions of sinners like you and me. Anyone who puts their hope in him, his blood pays the price. Only the incarnate Son of God can do this. We sung earlier about riches given to the poor. That's from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Though he was sinless, he became like a sinner, so that you, though you are a sinner, might be given the righteousness of God. How do you get that? Because he's got it. He has to be human if he's to represent us. He has to be God if he's going to live without sinning. He has to be human if he's going to die. He has to be God if his dying will defeat sin and death. Hallelujah, he is. And that's why all the stuff that we started with, that was a bit confusing and you're like, it sounds like hard work. It matters so much because Jesus alone can save. So I want to encourage us to rejoice in this again this Christmas. There's so much that's familiar about Christmas maybe for you. Like, oh, those routines again. Oh, those traditions again. And some of us love that and some of us like, oh. Whatever you feel about that, this is an opportunity to be reminded again of who Jesus is and what he has done and to praise him for it. And this is the truth that we must tell others. Like we've said, this time next week, A couple hours later, carol services. The easiest invitation of the year. I want to encourage you. The people you know need to know this. This is the first and easiest way to help them to know it a bit. But Then this has got to be, reaching out can't just be for Christmas. It's got to be all the time. You need to reach out as Jesus did. At great personal cost and with deep involvement in the lives of others. You do not need to start with the Chalcedonian definition. It's all right. But you must let them know that Jesus is God, come down to be with us, and that he is the only hope in the world. He's shown us who God is. He's shown us that this life is meaningful. He understands us, and he can save us.